Have you ever wondered how somebody can live in the same world that you do and be presented with the same facts and see the same scenario, yet come to a drastically different conclusion than you do? Like how two different people can look at the same situation and they can, and they can evaluate it and discuss it, yet com- they come to completely different ideas about what is best, what is good, what is right. right? This happens in our, in our families, it happens in our workplaces, in schools. And the reason it actually happens is pretty simple. The reason it happens is we all see what we see. The reality is in every situation, we only bring our own perspective into that situation. And so we, we might be presented with the same circumstance that another person has, is, is facing, yet at, at the same time, we only see it from our perspective. I can't see something from your perspective or your situation. I can only see it from mine. And likewise, you can't see what I see because you're not me because you don't have my experience or my personality or my situation. And because we all see what we see, this is also true, that we all think we should do what we should do based on what it is that we see. We all evaluate our situation, our relationships, our, our workplace decisions, our, our, our friendship decisions. All of that gets evaluated based on our own perspective. And so the only way then to change what it is that we think or what it is then that we do based on what we think is actually by changing the perspective that we have, by changing what it is that we see when we see what we see. Let me illustrate for you a little bit. In 1942, after U.S. Navy monitors tracked a Japanese submarine which surfaced off the coast of Santa Barbara and fired a few shots at an oil storage facility, Lieutenant General John L. DeWitt was tasked with implementing passive defense measures along the Pacific coast, his solution was to camouflage California. And so what he understood is that if he could use camouflage and misdirection and, and deception, he would impact the perspective of those who are attacking. And so he got the the help of movie studios and painters and landscape artists, carpenters, lighting experts, set designers, and they used Hollywood techniques to camouflage 34 bases. And so overhead, what would happen is you had this artificial surface so that when planes flew, they saw cars and they saw fields and and they saw a normal landscape. But if you were on the ground, you would see a base or you would see a factory, you would see a storage facility. Parking lots and factories all were hidden under fake trees and fake shrubs and fake cars. All with a simple idea is that if we could change the perspective of the enemy, we could change the behavior of the enemy. If we could change what what the enemy saw, we would also change what the enemy did. See, the view that you have always impacts what you do. And so if you want to change what it is that you do, you also need to change what it is that you think, which you also then need to change what it is that you see. If you could open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 12, I want us to spend some time in this text and specifically relating to the view that the Apostle Paul asks us to have in Christ- as Christians. Now, last week we talked about this idea of having a mind of the spirit versus a mind of the flesh. And in that, Paul actually makes a strong connection between Romans 8 and Romans 12, understanding that what is in our mind and having a mind of the spirit, it it causes a transformation, a transformation in our mind, in our hearts, in our actions. And so I'm going to begin reading in Romans chapter 12. I'll start at verse 1. Paul says this, Therefore... I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies 
as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts. According to the grace given us, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. And so Paul begins Romans chapter 12 with this important idea, therefore, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, it's important, Paul begins with the word therefore, which always raises the question, well, what's the therefore actually therefore? Now, when Paul wrote, wrote the book of Romans, Paul didn't actually include chapters and verses. That's actually a modern invention. And so I actually think they're incredibly helpful um, that it helps us find verses and memorize verses and communicate about these verses. Yet at the same time, it can be really challenging because what we'll do is we will end a chapter and we, and we separate how we read one chapter versus another. When Paul wrote this, it was actually one letter and it was often all read in one sitting. And so people would immediately go from the end of what we see as chapter 11 and immediately pick it up by continuing with chapter 12. And so it's important then we need to know what does Romans 11 say, because if we want to know what perspective Paul actually has in mind when he says the word therefore, we have to understand Romans chapter 11. In Romans 11, Paul writes this. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And so Paul when he says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice, this is what Paul has in view. This is what Paul sees that he wants us to have in mind when he then gives the instructions he, he says. He says, God's wisdom and his knowledge and his judgment are far beyond we could understand. God knows more than we could possibly know. God loves more than we could possibly love. God's wisdom is far beyond what we have. And he, he quotes even in there, in there Isaiah, the, the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, when he says, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Which I love how he quotes Isaiah, because the sense that the prophet Isaiah has when he says, who has known the mind of the Lord, is more of a rhetorical question, meant to kind of suggest, like, who has known the mind of the Lord? Well, we don't. We weren't there when he created the earth, when he laid the foundations. We can't know the mind of the Lord. The only problem, however, is when the Apostle Paul actually quotes this, also in the book of Corinthians, Paul answers that question by saying, who has known the mind of the Lord? Well, we have the mind of Christ. In other words, we actually can know the thoughts of God in the mind of Christ. And so Paul has this twofold idea going on. One, God is figure, bigger and far beyond what we could possibly think or imagine. And because the Holy Spirit lives in us, 
we actually can know and understand the thoughts and the mind of Christ. He quotes Job 41 when he says, who has ever given to God that God should repay him. In other words, God has done far more for you than you could ever begin to repay. That for the church in Rome, that when they look at their history and understand the death and resurrection of Jesus, the, the history of the nation of Israel, there, there is nothing that compares to the faithfulness that God had for them. And the same is true of us, that there is nothing that compares to the faithfulness that God has in your life. The faithfulness he has had in every situation, in every circumstance, no matter how hard it's been, God has been faithful. No matter how far you have run from God, no matter the choices you have made, God, by the death and resurrection of Jesus, continues to be faithful to you. And so then, that's why Paul says, in view of God's mercy. Because that's what Paul has in mind. That's the perspective that he, he carries. And so if you want to change why it is you do what you do, change and have that perspective. Have the perspective that we have in view the faithfulness and the mercy and the love of God. Because that view will change everything. That view will change your relationships. It will change the way you think. It will change your mental health experience. It will change the way you love your family. It will change the way you treat those who disagree with you. And so let me ask you this question. What would you do if what you had in view was what Jesus did for you? When it came to the decisions that you're making in your workplace, or the conflict you're having in your family, or how you interact with your neighbors, or the things that you pray for, what would you do if what it was that was in your view was what Jesus did for you? Now, Paul, of course, knows the answer. That's what he unpacks in the rest of this. He unpacks for us, this is what a life looks like when we live in view of God's mercy. Paul knows you would live for others instead of yourself. That you would sacrifice your own wants and desires for the benefit of another person. Paul knows that you would live imitating Jesus instead of trying to imitate and copy the world around you. See, true worship, the kind of worship that Paul describes here, true worship isn't about the songs we sing, but the sacrifice we make in response to whatever it is we have in view. And so if you want to know if you are truly worshiping, you will know by what you sacrifice, by what you're willing to lay down for the sake of someone else. And if you want to know who you worship, then, th then you just simply ask, well, who, who is it that I have in view in that moment? Which again, doesn't, which isn't about the song. Songs and music are one of the primary ways that the people of God throughout history and throughout scriptures express their love and worship of God. But for Paul, it's so much more than that. It's about our interactions with neighbors. It's about where we go to school and where we work. It's about every relationship that we have. What do we sacrifice in the midst of those relationships? How do our sacrifices benefit those around us? And as we do those things, what is it that we have in view? Because when we come into a place and we're simply asking the question, well, what do I like and what do I get? What we have in view in that moment is ourself. And so if we come into a place and say, well, I like the music or I don't like the music, well, when you do that, it's not really about what's true worship or false worship. It's about who you worship, and you're worshiping yourself. And so what Paul wants to say is when you gather and when you scatter, that the question is, what are you sacrificing? And in response to who? The grace and the mercy of Jesus. 
And so Paul then, with that in mind, says in verse 2, so do not conform to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, because Paul understands that the way that the world will look at things, the thing that the world has in view is yourself. And Paul says, that's not what I want in view. I don't want you imitating the world. I want you being transformed. I want something different in the church. Paul says, I don't want what you have in, to be, what, have in view to be simply what the world shows you is good or right. I don't want what you have in view to be what the enemy shows you is true. I don't want what you have in view to be the toxic thoughts that your own sinful flesh has. Because all of those view will impact the sacrifices you make. Paul says that what I want you to have in view is the mercy of God. Because it's that that will transform you by the renewing of your mind. The mercy of God will change the way you think, the way you act. Paul says, I would rather you be transformed than conformed. And so the question it raises for me is when we think about the church, is what if the church were culture makers instead of consumers? Because when Paul talks about the church here, when he talks about what true worship is, I think we have often made church a lot more like the world than being the kind of place that transforms the world. So what if the church were culture makers instead of consumers? Like, think of even, like, imagine what Paul would, would say if he heard that people use the phrase church shopping in America. Like, what would he have, like, we in America have turned church into a commodity. And so we go to one place, and we go to the next place, we go to the next place. Do, do, they ha- do they have the right things? Are they selling the right product? Do they have the right deal? If I don't like that one, I find another one. But Paul's saying, no, no, I want something different. I want the kind of place that they are being renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want the kind of place that the neighbors in the community who want nothing to do with the church want that church in that community. Paul says, I want the kind of place that their neighbors want them there. And they might not buy what they're selling, but they love the way the church treats them. Paul says, what if that were the church? What if the goal wasn't ultimately about what do I get out of it, but what if it was about what what God wants to do in and through you for the sake of the world? What if the goal was God transforming your heart and your mind in a way that makes this church a gift to our neighbors? And what if because of the transformation happening in this place as you worship, as you dig into the word of God, as you lean into the presence of Jesus, what if in that transformation... People experienced a love that was different in this place. That's why in Romans 12, immediately following Paul talking about how you use your gifts, he says love. He says love in a way that's sincere. Love in a way that hates what is evil and clings to what is good. Love in a way that honors one another above ourselves. Love love in a way that serves and is joyful and patient. Love in a way that takes care of those who are in need. All right, and get this last one. This one, I think, is the kicker. The one that is, if you want to not conform to the pattern of this world, do this last one. Paul says, love in a way that's in harmony with one another. Like, imagine if the one place in our world that the the world said there's harmony was the church. What if the one place in the midst of polarization and those on the right and the left continuing to argue about everything What if people looked and said, like that place, Faith Troy, they're living in harmony with one another. 
And when I come to church at Faith Troy, I can find people from one perspective and one people from another perspective, and somehow they have found harmony because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Do you realize, like, that's what Jesus did with the disciples? Jesus, Jesus had a zealot and a tax collector. They couldn't be more polarized than that. And he says, come and follow me. Like, watch, let, watch what I will do. Like, that's what Jesus does. And so imagine what that would look like in our world if people said, I don't know if I can buy the whole death and resurrection thing, but I can tell you what, that community knows how to love people. Like, I may not buy the whole idea that, the, that, that there's a book that has an authority on your life and tells you what is right and wrong, good and evil. Like, I don't know if I can buy that, but I love the way you're generous and support organizations in our community. Like, I, I don't know if I like the whole idea of waking up early on a Sunday morning, but I can tell you what, I love the idea of the way you make the outcasts and the poor and the hurting how you come alongside of them in the moments they need it the most. Like, what if that was what happened in our communities? Research suggests that it takes about 10 to 20 percent of a community to change the culture of that community. Now, 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 this specifically most often is referring to cities, but I would suggest it can be any community. It could be, it could be a church community. It could be a neighborhood. It could be a city. It could be a workplace. It could be a school. And so what research suggests is if, if numbers of, of a population reach 10 to 20%, it begins to change, it change the culture of that. And so people move into a city, for example, whether they're richer or poor, different ethnicities, different beliefs, if they comprise of less than 5% of that community, there will be no noticeable difference in that community. But if the numbers move upwards to 10 to 20% in a community, the culture of that community begins to change. Maybe you've even noticed that um, in neighborhoods in our own areas. As people move into a community, the culture of that community begins to change. Now, now here's what I want to suggest for our ends as followers of Jesus. What if the communities that we were in had 10 to 20 percent of people in those communities who were living out their faith and being transformed by the renewing of their mind as they followed Jesus? Now, now there's, there's plenty of people who claim to be followers of Jesus. That research would suggest the numbers are much higher, um, but I'm not talking about people who answer Christian on a survey. I mean, people who are practicing their faith, that they are pursuing Jesus in their workplaces, in their schools, wherever they go. What would happen if we hit 10 to 20% in those communities? Like, what would happen in your school if 10 to 20% of the students in your school were practicing the way of Jesus? And that was impacting the way they treated one another. Imagine what that would do in a lunchroom at a school that, that had 10 to 20% of people were looking out for who was sitting alone. That 10 to 20% of the people in a school were looking out for who's the kid being bullied. Well, imagine what that would, how that would transform a school. Right? Imagine how your workplace would be transformed if 10 to 20% of the people were, were working with integrity and sacrifice and service. Imagine our cities if 10 to 20% of the people we're imitating Jesus in every decision. If that were the case, poverty would be eliminated. Those who were outsiders would be welcomed in. Trafficking would be reduced. Families would stay together. Racism would begin to disappear. And so the question then is, what does that then look like for us as a community? Now, the way Paul answers that question has to do with gifts. 
Because the question about gifts is if we are conforming to the pattern of the world, my gifts are for me. My gifts are for my benefit, for my career advancement, for my pay, for any of those things. But Paul wants to ask a different question. Are my gifts for me or are they for those around me? Are my gifts about myself or are they about the benefit of another person? And so Paul in verses 4 to 8 talks about the idea that we have been given gifts. Now, if you've grown up around the church, um, you may have heard, you've heard the phrase spiritual gifts. And sometimes I, I would suggest that some, one of the primary ways that we've used this, the, the language of spiritual gifts is this idea of a spiritual gifts inventory. And that's an incredibly helpful tool if it starts the discussion for you. I think the problem is a lot of us have used it as the end of the discussion. It's just another, um, it's just another personality test. You got Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, sp- spiritual gifts inventory. We take this list, you have a long thing, and you check the box like, oh, I got that one, not that one. You're like, good, um, I, I got teach, I don't have to worry about evangelism. Like, oh, I, I'm good, I, can, I serve, I don't know what prophesying means, so like, I'm good there. Or, or you're like, oh, bummer, I got administration and I didn't get healing. Like, why didn't I, that, that would have been really cool. And so what many of us do, though, is we take this list and we say, got one, don't worry about that one. That's not the way that Paul um, actually talks about gifts in the New Testament. In fact, Paul actually doesn't use the phrase spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts um, comes from a combination of Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. And so in Romans 12, Paul uses the, 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 word, the Greek word for gifts. In Corinthians 12, Paul actually uses the Greek word that means spirituals. Um, people, as they translate the Bible, though, didn't think people would know what they meant when it just says, um, these are your spirituals. So they made it say spiritual gifts. They combined those two ideas into one. But the idea is when Paul talks about spiritual gifts is God has gifted you. And there's not really a sense that there's necessarily an exhaustive list of all the gifts, but the idea is that God has gifted you for the sake of someone else. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul wants to remind us that there is some stuff that the Holy Spirit does that is incredibly powerful. And he says, I want you to pursue that and pray for that and desire that, that the Holy Spirit works in power in the lives of believers. And so Paul says all of this, this is for the sake of loving those around you. That God has given you some gifts. And he's given you those gifts to serve and love other people. And that the Holy Spirit promises to show up and empower you to love and serve those around you. And so the, the, just to, to quickly run through the list, in Romans 12, the Apostle Paul says several different things. Prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, and showing mercy. Again, the point isn't that this is an exhaustive list. Prophecy, I just want to touch on that one because that's one probably the most unfamiliar in our context. Um, and prophecy is less like what you would see online when you see somebody predicting the end of the world or somebody trying to predict who's going to be the next president and then they get it wrong. Um, prophecy is really, it's about listening to, it's listening to God, hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying to you and sharing that with another person. And so an example for me on, on our team, we actually um, practice listening to God together. And on, on one Tuesday, our team um, was, was listening to Jesus. And the question we asked is, um, Jesus, is there a song that you have in mind um, for someone else? And so, um, and so what, what actually happened in that is Deb shared with me on that day. Um, I, she said, I just I have the song, The Blessing, coming to my heart um, as we're praying for you. Um, and I thought nothing of it. I thought, like, you know, I like that song. That's cool. It's probably from God. It matches um, the, the benediction that's in Numbers. Um, and so it's, that sounds like something Jesus would, would sing. Like, that would, that's great. Um, well, it turns out that little did I know the next day, 
I had an awful day. It was just one of those hard days, hard meetings, hard conversations. And I found myself later in that day questioning a lot about um, myself, my identity, who I am, who Jesus thought of me, what Jesus thought of me. And as I was driving um, to an event later that evening, just popped in my head, what song? Well, of course, it was The Blessing. And so I'm singing this, uh, and I'm not going to sing it for you, but um, if you know the song, um, there's a reason I preach and don't do music. Um, but I had this song in my head, and immediately then I ca- it came back to what Deb shared with me, and I and immediately said, like, oh, oh that's cool. Like, um, like when, when Zephaniah says, God is a mighty warrior who sings over you. Like, maybe this is like God speaking his promises to me. And then, of course, what, what happens then at the event that I'm at, what song do we end up singing? Right? And then there's this moment in that that it was as though God himself was singing over me, reminding of his goodness and his faithfulness. Right, that's prophecy. That somebody was listening to what the Holy Spirit brought to mind, then, que- then asking, does this match what the Scriptures say? If it doesn't match the Scripture, it's not the Holy Spirit. Um, and then sharing that, just sharing a simple thing to encourage and, and, and love another person. And for me, it ended up being a word that I needed on that night. And so Paul, Paul includes this, prophesy. Um, he says, serve, teach, encourage, give, lead, show mercy. And then he ties all of those to love. That in all of that, to love, love in a way that's sincere, love in a way that encourages other people. Because when you have in view what Jesus did for you, you would not believe what God can do through you. When you have the mercy of God in view and you use the gifts that God has given you, you would not believe what Jesus will do through you. That you might be the person that opens a door to a conversation. As you pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to show up, you would not believe the way that God would work in and through you for the sake of another person. And so as we close, I want to end with a time of prayer and just ask that God would give to us his gifts that he would show us the ways he has gifted us, that he would remind us of his love for us, that he would show gifts and talents and opportunities for us, that he would show us ways that he wants to work and empower us as, as his followers. And so as we do that, I, I just want to invite you to stand. Um, if, you, if you would stand up as we close in this time of prayer. And what I'm going to ask, if you're comfortable as, as we pray, if you, if you just have felt like the Holy Spirit stirring something in you during this time, um, that, that you, you just feel like God's put on your heart, that I have some gifts and I don't know what they are, but I want, I want them. Um, if you would just put your hands out in a way to just demonstrate re, re, receiving. And this is not about superstition. This is just a, a posture we can do with our hands as we're praying. Um, and I just want to take a time to pray, pray for you. And so if you, are, if you are just asking God, God, what are my gifts? What are the talents you've given to me? Um, or maybe you're asking, God, where can I serve? If you would just put your hands out, if that's your prayer. Um, or maybe some of you, you've just been eagerly desi- desiring that the Holy Spirit would work in powerful ways in and through you. And that's an okay thing to desire. The Bible actually says, eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. And so if you have been praying that, God would, that you would see God heal, that you would see, get the incredible discernment of what is happening in the Spirit, or if, the, if you would get prophecy, um, if you are praying for those things, I, I would just encourage you, put your hands out. And as we pray, I, if you have somebody near you who is putting their hands out and you know them, like it wouldn't be weird, um, feel free to then also put your hands on them and pray a blessing over them. Just pray and say, Holy Spirit, I just bless what you're doing. 
And then if something comes to your heart and your mind as I am praying, feel free to also share and encourage that with them. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come. Holy Spirit, we know that you give gifts and that you empower us as your followers. And so we pray that you would speak to us, that you would speak to our hearts and your minds the gifts that you've given to us. That those who are in this room who have a gift with a prophetic, those in this room who have a gift with teaching to serve, that they would see it, that they would hear, that they would know. I pray that you would show them, either in this moment or just in a conversation that happens later, that you would show them the open doors so that they can serve in a way that loves the people around them. Holy Spirit, for those who are praying that they would see your power work in and through them, I pray that you would gift them in incredible ways. And that that prayer would not be about their own experience, but it would be about the people you want to love. I pray that in this room, as we follow Jesus, that there be people in this room who see the way that you can heal through them. I pray for people in this room that are praying that they would just hear distinctly your voice, that they would hear in ways that they know what you are saying and that they can speak words of encouragement out of that. God, I thank you for what you are doing in this place. I pray that that you would just do it more and more and more. Thank you for loving us and teach us to love those around us like you do.